What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. If you're building a team and you're only focused on surface level diversity, you'll never become elite. The person that is going to walk us through that conversation is joining us today. She's an HR services manager at BMSS Advisors and CPAs, uh, a business advisory and accounting firm, serving over 7,500 clients with their business needs. In this role, she helps clients with all of their HR needs from compliance to personnel management strategy. Prior to this role, she has served as the HR business advisor in a separate HR consulting firm and practice HR directly in a number of different roles. She's been in town acquisition. She's been an HR manager. She's been a generalist and a recruiter. She holds a certification from SHRM and is a graduate uh, from Athens State University. Rebecca Tipton, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a great topic to talk about. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And before we dive into the discussion, I'd like you to do is give us a little bit more context about your background and your experience. Where I really get my team building experience from is definitely from back when I was in talent acquisition, where I was working with a team of onboarders, sourcers, and other recruiters. And during my time there, I went from being a recruiter, from being one of the sources, being one of the onboards, to being then the director of the talent acquisition team. And I quickly learned that, yes, you can have really good work ethic and want to mirror what you are like in your teammates. You're actually going to have a better time if you look for what's different in your teammates and help them to use their skills to actually improve the team overall, maybe even learn something from their skills that can help improve you. But when you described your background and experience, you talked about starting out as a sourcer, um, transitioning into a role that had more uh, responsibility and eventually becoming a director. Tell us a little bit about the challenges that you encountered in that situation and how you navigated that transition from being an individual contributor to their boss once you got promoted. So I'm not going to lie, it was difficult because right? you do go from being part of the team to all of a sudden everyone's wondering whether your personality is going to change and all of a sudden you're going to become more of a dictator. And I tried really hard to keep that in mind and understand how I would feel about one of my peers being put in the same situation. And so changes that I made, I just made sure to communicate with the team, let them know exactly what I was thinking and ask for their feedback along the way. I had already gained a lot of respect for these guys. So I really valued their feedback. And I think that's just very important when you're building a team as well. Let's talk about the core topic that we're going to discuss. For those who are new to the show, we talk often about what are the game-changing realizations that leaders have had that help them build high-performing teams. You've 
been in a number of different roles within the HR function between TA and the HR side. So when you look at your career progression, what were the big game-changing learnings that you had that really supercharged your ability to build a high-performing team? For stars, definitely the fact that you really do want diversity amongst your team as far as their skill sets, their backgrounds and experiences, what they, what kind of perspective they can bring to the equation. But also that once you have that good team, it is not the time to just rest on your laurels. You want to keep going. You want to be building upon their skills or their experiences. And really professional development is just the best way of going about that. Being able to track what skills they have, where they are, and see where they're progressing so that you can quickly just pivot. A, especially back in talent acquisition, we had to pivot all the time based on different needs, the supply and demand of different skill sets, and having the ability to just quickly come up with a new concept or a new process to get where we were trying to go was just absolutely necessary. So we were constantly trying to find different seminars or classes or just learning opportunities in general, whether it was small projects that we could work on and build those skills. I want to break down a little bit about what you said in two different components, because on the one hand, you're talking about team composition and making sure that you're well represented across any number of mm -hmm. criteria at the team level. And the other element that you're talking about was about team development. So let's tackle the composition part of it first. And this is going to be informed by a lot of your experience in talent acquisition. It's important to have a lot of backgrounds, a lot of perspectives, a lot of viewpoints represented in your team. If you're trying to achieve that goal, where do you start and what are the things that you should be doing from a talent attraction perspective that's going to position you to have that kind of team? What I really wanted, first and foremost, because we worked primarily with education staffing. I wanted someone with an education background who could share with us the mindset of the typical candidate that we were going after, someone who could communicate on their level, understand everything they had to go through to get to where they were at that point, everything they were probably looking for in a position. And so I did specifically target different recruiting pools that would be more geared towards that educational background. But honestly, you can apply that across the board. If you're wanting different backgrounds, don't stick with the same recruiting source. You don't want to just rely on Indeed for everything if you want to also be getting a diverse pool. And from there, I was honestly lucky that I had a lot of applications to sort through and be able to look at their experience. But it's just a matter of looking out for what they listed on their resume and looking for different opportunities where, oh, that's a very interesting experience that they had. I wonder how they could apply that, bringing them for, in for the conversation. And so often you just have a really great conversation. They already know exactly how they're going to apply it to your field. And you'll see that perspective that they're bringing that's so different from anything else you're seeing on your team. Here's what's interesting about what you just described, because one of the challenges that I've often heard from recruiters is you have this position description that's built out. You have hiring managers that have a set of ideas in their mind on what the ideal candidate looks like. 
from your perspective, it sounds like you have to be able to be flexible and look at where is their potential for this non-standard quote unquote candidate or non-standard background to fit. What's your advice to recruiters who are facing the challenge of hiring managers or position descriptions that spell out exactly what something should look like and how do they bridge that gap in building diversity into that candidate pool by coloring outside the lines a little bit? That's tough because I've definitely worked with some hiring managers that were maybe a little more set in their ways. And so it can be more of a back and forth conversation. Honestly, I'll share some of my experiences that, especially like the, the experiences I'm sharing with you guys, where I have specifically brought people in from different backgrounds and how it helped me. And by having that personal history to share with them, I usually get a little more buy into it. But the more that you can show some kind of connection or transferability of the skills between the background and what they're looking for. Generally speaking, the hiring manager is going to be more into the concept of trying it out. Let's tackle the other half of the equation. We talked a little bit about what are some of the things that you can do from a talent attraction perspective. What I gathered from your response when you're talking about broadening that talent pool, it's critical for recruiters to ask about what's possible. What if this happens? What if we find this? What if we find this profile? And that actually allows hiring managers to think a little bit differently about what are they actually looking for out of that candidate? I want to pivot real quick and talk about the other half of the equation that you mentioned, which was the development plan. Once you have that team that's in place, you mentioned that you can't sit on your laurels. You need to be able to work on creating a path or creating a vision for those folks so they stick around. So tell us a little bit about what some of those best practices were that you encountered that helped you do that within the organizations that you've worked in. So probably the best practice, at least for how I'm applying professional development, has been basically like a succession plan concept into it where you are looking at each of your employees and doing an honest assessment over where they are in each of their skill sets, maybe some bonus skill sets that aren't really required for the position, but just tracking all of that and identifying where they are in that grid so you can better target your development opportunities towards those who need it in these areas. Any kind of skill you can think of, you're really going to be doing yourself a service by keeping track of all those skills, exactly where to spend your budget for development training, but also being able to track how that training has affected them. If it's not helping them at all, then maybe it's not worth the cost. But if it's helping them greatly, all of a sudden you've got a star person over here who can be maybe moved over into other projects to support their coworkers and further develop that. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. I like what you described there from a succession planning perspective. And if I'm understanding what you're describing correctly, 
a lot of that can be driven based on just your pure observation as you have people coming into your organization. But mm -hmm. I think that we can take it a step further. When we think about what leaders should be doing with the people that report into them, and we're talking about regular conversations and one-on-ones and things like that, when you think about the real structure of a one-on-one -on -one in the context of employee development, what are some of the best practices that you've seen work really well that give those leaders line of sight into what gaps exist? So one-on-one -on -one meetings are fantastic. I actually promote them quite a bit with my clients and having them regular is very important. I actually use mine for developing a specific set of KPIs. Everybody knew upfront, like what their expectations were and what the agenda was for each of the one-on-one -on -one meetings where we would start off with by just talking about, okay, here are the numbers and here's where you're at, here's where you're excelling, here's where maybe we need a little work. And then the very next topic would be, what can I do to support you? Are there obstacles in your way? Do you need additional resources, tools, software? Do you need additional development? What do we need to do? I want your feedback into what you think could help you to improve. And then from there, maybe updates, of course, about the team. But it was always very effective at getting that answer just very directly, even from my more introvert employees who don't like having to be confrontational, that they feel like they're missing something to be successful. They would just end up feeling more comfortable being very direct about what they need. And then I'd turn around and work on trying to make it happen. You mentioned there are occasions where people are on your team where they might not want to have that direct conversation. What are some things that leaders can do to create space for those people that are less forthcoming to advocate and voice their needs. I'm probably one of those, if I would be honest with myself, I just try to fight it. And so I do feel like I can be very honest with this one. I feel like the one-on-ones were great and just asking directly, not waiting for them to come to me, but just asking them directly, hey, what do you need? It, this isn't coming from a place of anger or a disciplinary meeting or a performance meeting. I just want to know what you think I could do better for you. And that helped a lot with my employees who were a little quieter. The other options, of course, you can do anonymous surveys or just having some kind of solo feedback mechanism where they don't have to feel like they're on the spot in a large meeting or in front of their peers so they can just get their view across and if it's anonymous they don't have to be called out on it i preferred when they are willing to talk with me directly just because then i knew exactly who to help i found that the best method for me has been the direct question in a private meeting with an employee followed by an anonymous survey, just in case they still weren't feeling all that forthcoming. You, you mentioned that in your typical one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're talking about where people are, what the metrics are, how people are progressing against those things, and then diving into what do you need. One of the other folks that I've talked to quite often, he actually advocates for splitting your one-on-ones into a couple of different flavors. One is that performance update or status update, and the other one is just an open forum, open door sort of conversations. What are your feelings or have you tried that version? And if so, 
what have you observed about splitting those up so you don't turn your one-on-ones into just a pure status report? I like that concept a lot. I What I did was actually similar in a way. The first part was structured because otherwise I, I found that we could get very off topic going free for all on the conversation. And I just wanted to make sure that we had the space to talk about the actual numbers and goals first so that we didn't get too far off base. We actually would schedule a full 30 minutes and get through the first part in about 10. And then the rest of it really was for, okay, let's talk about other issues. Do you have questions about the new process that came out or the new software that we're learning how to use? Any kind of thing that could come up, maybe they're having issues at home that they wanted to discuss, but I just left that to them. Sometimes they had such a tight schedule, they just asked me, I really don't actually have anything else to say. Do you mind if I go ahead and get back to it? Absolutely. I just want that time to be theirs at that point. Really good stuff, Rebecca. I like this conversation in terms of not only attracting uh, a wider candidate pool, but also developing them and how you can leverage one-on-ones appropriately to get the most out of that talent attraction effort and development effort that you're doing. Now, we opened the show by talking about if you're only looking at surface level diversity as part of your talent strategy, you'll never become elite. So how do we take that beyond the surface level? How do we take it and make it meaningful versus the surface level stuff that we see at a lot of organizations? Share with us a little bit about what you've seen work well and also what you've seen work poorly when people are trying to execute that. All levels of diversity are important, but when you're really trying to implement something to encourage and foster diversity, whether it's amongst your entire company or your team, I think it's really important to elicit feedback from the other members, whether they're your employees from the team or all of your employees from the company. If it's company-wide, I have seen some great committees come together that represent like just a little part of each of the company and be able to share their perspective, what they've seen, maybe different things that are needed, like employees who aren't really comfortable standing up in front of me. And so they're constantly being looked over from the feedback that they want to provide, the input and ideas that they want to give. And so one of the suggestions there was opening it up for submitting ideas, written comments, so that people can't just be talked over. And so that everybody's feedback is reviewed. And then the person reviewing the feedback would then respond to each person who had written in the feedback directly so that they knew that their feedback was being heard and implemented if possible, whenever it was. Other ways that I have really seen work would be similar to Engage Rocket, what you showed me before, tracking what your team already has on their, as far as their skill sets or their backgrounds, so that you know where the gaps are and really analyzing what do you want next in your hire then, and specifically looking for candidates to fill that role so that you can basically complete the team and make it feel whole again. If I understand what you're describing correctly, there's a combination of things that people leaders should be doing. One, they should be pretty disciplined about creating all sorts of different avenues for people to have their opinions or voices or perspective heard. 
But the other part of it in terms of building a cohesive people strategy, especially when you're talking about embedding diversity throughout all levels of the organization, is that you need to have an eye towards what are you missing within the organization from a capabilities perspective, from a representation perspective, all the different sort of dimensions of diversity, and you need to be intentional about putting those things forward. So great conversation, Rebecca. I appreciate you hanging out with us. Before we wind everything down, I want you to think about the conversations that we've had. And when you look at building an elite team and you look at the things that we talked about from a talent strategy perspective, from attraction to development to retention, and you're looking at the impact of diversity through that entire life cycle, what are the key things that you want the listeners to remember when they're trying to build this on their own? First and foremost would be to not shy away from team members that are different from you. If they have big different backgrounds or they just took a different journey to get where they are, or they have a different love or emphasis in your field, it's actually going to help your team and not hinder it by having someone who has a different outlook than yourself. And of course, the second one would be to not just build the team and then leave it there. Continue developing the team, keep their skills sharp, improve their skills where they were maybe mediocre before so that they can become even better and help you pivot as you need to. Always be willing to improve. Last thing before we close everything down, where can people find you? You can find me at BMSS Advisors and CPAs. We're located in Huntsville, Alabama. You can reach me if you're interested in HR services at rtipton at bms.com or just call me at 256-964-978. They can also find me on LinkedIn. I can be found a lot of places. I appreciate you uh, hanging out with us. When I think about this conversation, I think the one big thing that stands out to me is whatever your talent strategy is, that you have to be intentional both on the attraction side, the development side, and the retention side for you to have meaningful diversity across all levels of the organization. It's not enough to think outside of the box or or get creative in terms of where you're finding your talent from a talent pool perspective. Once you have them in your doors, You have to be intentional about mapping out a development plan, mapping out uh, a plan that syncs up what they want from their development objectives, as well as what are the gaps within the organization. So you're building a sustainable talent engine versus creating this scenario where you have a revolving door of talent, which is where a lot of organizations end up falling. So I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing that insight. For those of you who have listened to this conversation and like what you heard, make sure you leave us a review. Tune in next time where we'll have another leader coming on the show to share with us their game-changing realizations that help them build a high-performance team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash hrimpact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.